Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. Joining me today on this Loveland Cookbook Group episode of the Loveland Libcast, I, of course, have my co-host, Ashley Reger. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And Ashley, of course, is not only the co-host and Loveland Cookbook Group developer, but she is a recipe developer and freelance food writer, and of course, writes for Westward as well. And today, for the first time ever, we have the actual author of the cookbook that we're going to discuss Allison Reedy, author of 50 Things to Bake Before You Die, our September Loveland Cookbook Group title. Allison, welcome to the Loveland Libcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Thanks for being here. We are going to get a bit of background on you, Allison, and talk about 50 Things to Bake Before You Die. Before we do that, though, I just want to mention for folks who are following along for the Loveland Cookbook Group, that we are going to have our next potluck on October 15th. That is a Saturday, and that's going to be from noon to 2 p.m. in the Gertrude Scott Room here at the Loveland Library. You are welcome to bring a recipe from I Dream of Dinner by Allie Slagle, today's cookbook that we're going to talk about, 50 Things to Bake Before You Die by Allison Reedy, or Mi Cochina by Rick Martinez, or if you want to bring something else, that's fine. Really anything for the potluck, but those are suggested titles. Um, anything delicious is welcome. <laughs> that's right. Anything delicious. <laughs> that would be wonderful. And again, that'll be on October 15th from noon to two. You don't need to sign up or register anything. Just come on by. We'll share food and talk about those cookbooks and uh, just have a good time being around each other. With that being said, Allison, let's get to know you a little bit. To start things off, for how long have you been in Colorado and working in journalism? So I've been in Colorado most of my life. Originally, I was an economist. And on the side, I started kind of dabbling in food writing because, well, food is the love of my life. And I did have a journalism degree as well. But I didn't really think I could actually have a career as a food writer. It just seemed kind of too good to be true you know, marrying those two loves of food and writing together. But eventually I got to the point where I just didn't want to be an economist anymore. And one day I just finally got brave enough to put in my two weeks and started pitching, started talking to other food writers in town, asking them how they got into it. And I kind of haven't looked back since that was more than 10 years ago. And was this all in Denver? Yes. Okay. Follow-up question, and mm -hmm. pardon my ignorance, what exactly does an economist do? <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of things. Um, I was more of a statistician, and I worked for the, the Colorado Department of Labor. And so we did statistics like the unemployment rate, employment and wage statistics, kind of just statistics around the labor force. Wow. So wanting to do food writing, that's a pretty... It's very different. Yeah. <laughs> it's very different from food writing. <laughs> Not a lot of crossover. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have never thought about there actually being like people behind those numbers. Yes. That is so wild. <laughs> yeah. I was one of those people. 
I was terrible at stats in college. <laughs> I went from numbers to letters. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll jump in here. Have you always been interested in writing just about food specifically, or have you ever written about economics or any other topics? <laughs> I've covered a lot. Travel. When my children were young, I did some parenting, like baby writing, first-time parent writing type things. I had a wedding magazine for a little bit there. I have done some economic stuff, just kind of all over the place, but mostly food. Food is, like I said, the love of my life. It's my focus. So when you when you were making that leap, did you know, like, there might be some other journalism in there, but food is really what I want to focus on? I mean, that was the dream. The food was definitely what I wanted to do, but I also didn't really think that I could do that. I don't know where I got the the crazy bravery or confidence to just keep pitching and throwing myself out there. But maybe I'm projecting here, but it probably took some crazy bravery also to write a cookbook. <laughs> when, uh, when did you first get the idea to write a cookbook? And how did you square that with your self-assessment that you are a baking mortal? <laughs> Definitely. So I actually looked for a Christmas gift for my aunt a few years ago. I wanted to get her kind of a greatest hit sort of baking cookbook. So, you know, I went to trusty Google and I couldn't find anything. And I was so surprised that there wasn't just kind of an anthology of all these, you know, all the best bakers and their best recipes put together into one collection. And at the time I was working for the Denver Post, I was on staff as their food writer. And so I was very busy doing that. I didn't have a lot of free time outside of that and the kids. And then I left the Denver Post when they did a layoff a few years back. And that actually finally gave me time to put this idea together. I put together a proposal and I shopped it around and it took a while, but eventually I did get a publisher and got to start on this book. And the part about being a baking mortal, um, <laughs> that affected me way more than I thought. I didn't quite think this through. I sort of jumped <laughs> without looking where I was jumping. I am not a great baker. I'm not a great cook. I'm an eater. I write mostly about restaurants where other people are doing the cooking for me. I do like to bake because I love dessert. And so I've always baked just at home. Definitely not anything that you would want to like serve at a dinner party or anything like that. So what I didn't think through and the biggest challenge maybe of writing this book is a lot of the pictures that you see in the cookbook. Those aren't the creations of the master bakers who created the recipe, like mm -hmm. those are mine just out of my kitchen oh, here in wow. Bloomfield that I made. And, and with cookies, like it's okay. Cookies, you know, not, not too tough. Brownies. Okay. But the cakes, the pies, that's not my skill set. <laughs> so <laughs> it was very challenging to try to make these recipes look cookbook worthy, gorgeous. And for people who haven't seen the cookbook yet, they do look cookbook worthy. They all look Thank so you. delicious. <laughs> they you do. You go through the book and you're like, oh my gosh, that one is the best looking. No, that one. Oh, thanks. <laughs> there were so many mess ups though. And just so many things I felt like went wrong. That's very relatable though. <laughs> I was just admiring as I went and got the cookbook in preparation to record this. I was looking at the s'more cake on the front. Oh my gosh, that just looks so to die for. But I bet that's such a beast to make. <laughs> yes, that one, I call it my Intimabake. Because that one, I was so scared to make. It was like a two-day process. 
Because if you look at it, there's an actual graham cracker crust layer to the cake. And then there's a chocolate ganache layer. There's chocolate cake, homemade marshmallow fluff. Then we go into the graham cracker layer again. It's essentially like five, six different components, then toasted marshmallow Mm. on top, then the chocolate frosting, and then the chocolate ganache drip. It took me two days to do this cake, and I was so proud of myself. (laughs) How did it taste? It was delicious, and I just, <laughs> All right. I talked about that for days. I was so crazy proud yeah. of myself for making it. All my neighbors knew about it. Everybody knew that, hey, I made this cake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> well, going back to the book, how did you decide who to research and who to include in this book? Because really the book is, like you said, an anthology of many different bakers. So how did you narrow it down to the best ones? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them, there are some no-brainers. Christina Tosi from Milk Bar, her recipes Mm -hmm. are just so amazing. Joanne Chang from Flower in Boston. She's fantastic. Dominique Ansel. I love Georgetown cupcakes, so I reached out to the Georgetown cupcake ladies. I was really lucky that so many people said yes, and that I got to actually use a lot of these recipes. Besides just people that I knew about firsthand and things that I'd eat when traveling throughout the U.S., um, I went to friends. I asked friends who lived in different areas, hey, what's the best bakery in Louisville or what's the best place to get a cookie in Dallas? I just asked people... Mm -hmm. And then I Googled, I looked around, I just saw, oh, where's the best pie in Kansas? Like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's awesome that it was almost in some ways like a culmination of the food writing you had done and that you had the ammunition and the experience to be like, all right. (laughs) Yeah, the research too, a lot of research. Yeah. Delicious research though, (laughs) testing recipes, you know, seeing what I like. As I was reading through it, I really enjoyed it that you wrote with a humor Is that something that you see in a lot of how you write? And how do you approach using humor? And how did you see that fitting into a cookbook like this? I think that I tend to write based on my real life. And real life is funny sometimes. I mean, it it just kind of is. Like the write-up for those Funfetti cookies, I was in such a terrible mood when I had to bake these. And I did have to because there was a schedule And I was in a terrible mood. My kids were outside, like screaming at each other and fighting over snow hammers and shovels. And here I am baking funfetti cookies, you know, like the happiest unicorn magical thing. And I'm just angry. So I just kind of put in real life experiences when I can. And sometimes they're funny. (laughs) I was laughing as I was reading a recipe before I made it. I was kind of having a day like that too. So I was like, yeah, I need these. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) This was meant to be. (laughs) So the Funfetti cookies recipe is our featured recipe for the month. We've already handed out kits for it. Are there any other recipes that you really hope that people try from this book this month? I would say if you're just starting baking or maybe you're intimidated by baking and you don't really think that you can make a recipe successful, One of the easiest ones are the fudgy brownies from Tessa Arias. Her blog is called Handle the Heat. And she's kind of like my brownie guru. She has so many different kinds of brownies. And these fudgy brownies are so easy. They're so delicious. I think it only takes one bowl. So there's not a huge mess. So I would say that one for sure, if you're a starter baker. 
Other ones that I love are the lemon bars, Christina Tosi's The Birthday Layer Cake, because it's just such an <laughs> iconic cake. And then one that we keep requesting around our house for birthdays is the lemon layer cake from Sugar Bake Shop in Charleston, South Carolina. And then the Plain Jane Cookies from Amy Jason of Cookie Fix in Homewood, Alabama. Those are just so unique. And also you can tailor the recipe to kind of whatever ingredients you like. It's a pretty basic recipe. It has a lot of cream cheese in it, which you don't see often with cookies. So it has kind of that tang, which I like. And then she suggests putting in blueberries and white chocolate chips, which is really good. But you could add, you know, anything you have in your pantry or anything that you like into that recipe. I expect to see all of those at the potluck now. <laughs> I hope you get lots of desserts. Manifest those <laughs> delicious <laughs> treats for us, please. I guess I should have to make one as well then. I'll also throw in the cheesecake because <laughs> I'm obsessed with cheesecake. I mean, 50 things to bake before you die. It's there probably aren't many that you're like, yeah, there's <laughs> oh, you can live without this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but thank you for those recommendations. Yeah. One of the problems with this podcast is that the more we talk, the more I want the things that we're talking about. Those fudgy brownies. Mm -hmm. And I would like to be someone else's brownie guru one day. But, you know, <laughs> that is for dreaming, I guess. Thank you for answering all those questions for us, Allison. Now we're going to talk about this title, 50 Things to Bake Before You Die. It's probably already evident from this discussion why we chose this cookbook, but Ashley, when you chose this cookbook before meeting Allison or talking to her, what inspired you to choose this cookbook? So I actually interviewed Allison about this cookbook a couple of months ago uh, for Westward. And so that was kind of how the cookbook entered my radar. I had seen all of the food writers from Denver posting about it on Instagram. I was seeing it all over. And then I got my assignment to actually interview Allison. So I was like, this is so cool. I've been seeing this all over social media. Now I get to talk to the authors. This is awesome. <laughs> so the book has been stuck in my mind, I think, for all of this year. It was a couple of months ago that we first spoke. And so now that it's September, it's back to school time. For me, that brings to mind bake sales. That also brings to mind the start of the holiday season. So we're going to be getting into times that we bake for our family coming over and cookie swaps and we're getting Christmas gifts for our loved ones. So I thought that this was like the perfect entryway into this very busy baking season, the busiest baking season of the year. It really is. I was thinking about this before we were recording. I was like, we really are hitting that time where it's starting to cool off, especially in the evening. And you're like, eh, it'd be nice to have something warm and delicious <laughs> in the oven that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I think people are really excited about this and probably tried those cookies by now and are even more tempted to <laughs> to bake from this. Allison, I wanted to ask you, since this is our first opportunity to talk to the author of a cookbook that we've chosen. Is there anything that you'd want listeners of this podcast to know about 50 Things to Bake Before You Die or how you hope folks would approach it when they did get their hands on it? I think I selfishly wrote this book for myself to have this <laughs> great collection of dessert recipes. So I think it's for people like me. So people who really love dessert, like to eat it a lot. We have lunch dessert at our house. We have dinner dessert, sometimes mm -hmm. second dinner dessert. and 
maybe people who don't think of themselves as professional bakers or super skilled bakers, because you really don't have to be. I cannot frost a cake to save my life. My crusts are not perfect. But really, even if you screw it up, even if it doesn't look great, it's probably going to taste good. So on the scale of like disasters, if you're going to have a cake disaster, that's a pretty good one, I feel like. So be brave, be bold, turn on the oven and, and give it a shot. I think that that's wonderful advice. That also speaks to me because I don't cook or bake a lot. But I mean, if something's ever going to inspire me, it's a delicious treat. <laughs> and <laughs> having something that smells good and warms up the place a little bit. Ashley, we chose the Funfetti cookies to highlight from this cookbook. Did you have anything you wanted to tell listeners about this recipe? These may have set the record for our recipe kits going out because they did not last a day. And we even had some people trickling in asking about them. So these were quite popular. But what kind of insights that you might want to provide? Because people can still get the book and try those out if they would like. Yeah, so this is a super easy recipe. It's a pretty standard cookie recipe, but I thought it was really interesting that a lot of times with Funfetti, you'll see not a ton of butter, like clear vanilla. So you're keeping it really white so that you have this really bright Funfetti. These cookies use a lot of butter and it actually tastes so buttery and delicious in the final cookie. Like I knew that they were going to be good, but they were surprisingly delicious like they were so buttery it uses brown sugar as well in the recipe which keeps them soft and then you get a little bit of that like toasty molasses note from the brown sugar that's not just like your standard sugar flavored funfetti so I really really enjoyed these cookies again you can still get the book from the library and make them at home as I was looking through the book for kit ideas being a baking book, there were so many really good candidates, but the minute I thought about the library handing out full cups of rainbow sprinkles to people, that, that sold it. I was like, yep, <laughs> everybody gets a cup of rainbow sprinkles to take home. So. <laughs> Can I say something about these cookies too? Oh, please. Yeah, um, please do. So these Funfetti cookies are actually kind of my child care now in that my 10-year-old daughter she made them all summer long. And it was like, okay, I'm trying to work. You're home from school and I need you to be busy. Why don't you go make some cookies? So it, it, it's like the best thing in the world because you get free childcare and then you get cookies. So even, even 10 year olds can make these cookies. They're pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, nothing beats they're easy and they're delicious and <laughs> they could also care. be a babysitter. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. Baking has become my babysitter now that my daughter is 10 and has an interest in this. I think that's your next book title. <laughs> my baking babysitter. Thank you both, Ashley and Allison, for those insights on those Funfetti cookies. I also wanted to ask you, Ashley and Allison, do you have any recommendations for other cookbooks or food writers or social media personalities who focus on baking or cooking or delicious treats. And Allison, we could start with you if you had anything in mind. So many of the bakers in this book have cookbooks or they have blogs. There is, a, I think, a page in the back where it kind of suggests some books and blogs to go to from these bakers. And those are the people I go to. Christina Tosi has tons of Milk Bar cookbooks. Joanne Chang has some. 
I think Tessa, the fudgy brownie girl, I think she has her own cookbook. Mindy Siegel, she's a Chicago baker, and we have her yum yum banana cheesecake coffee cake recipe. She has a book called Cookie Love that is amazing for cookies. So I definitely specifically recommend that one if you like cookies. And then just any of these bloggers, Chelsea Sweet, Chelsea White, she has so many great cake recipes, cookie recipes. And then that cover cake, the s'mores cake, that's cake by Courtney, Courtney Rich. And she just came out with a cake book, I think a few months ago. And it's gorgeous. And it has all her amazing cake recipes and tips. So that would be a good one, too. All right. Thank you for those. Oh You're such a great resource of cookbooks because you know all of the great, <laughs> great recipe stuff. I'm still really enjoying newsletters. I think I talked about this last month, but I read a newsletter this morning from the desk of Alicia Kennedy, and she is more of an essayist, but she has the newsletter, which I just mentioned. She'll put out an essay every week, and then she'll often include a recipe too. So that's been really, really just delightful and like kind of nice to wake up to a little essay in your inbox about something in food. That's what I've been really enjoying lately. Allison, before we get into our book recommendations, where would you recommend listeners if they want to read some of the things that you've written or just keep up with your journalism currently? Where would you direct them to check those things out? I write a lot for 5280 Magazine and the Denver Post. And both of those are great sources for local food, local restaurants, drinks. So even if you're not reading me and you're reading the other great writers and editors, those are always great sources that I hope locals are taking advantage of. And westward, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Finally, I'd just like to go around and ask you all what you've been reading or if you have something to recommend, folks. This time, Ashley, let's start with you. Do you have anything that you've been reading or listening to or anything that you would recommend people check out? Yeah, I have been listening to the audiobook for Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin. And that has been such a fantastic book. It's one of those books where I'm like, I wish I was reading it because then I could just stop everything I'm doing and go read it instead of having to like listen to it while I'm doing something else. I'm only halfway through, but it's already kind of broken my heart a couple of times. So <laughs> I'm stealing myself for I'm sure what's going to be a, a sad climax of the book, but I'm also looking forward to it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. In, in the way that you do with sad books. So. <laughs> yeah, some of my favorite books or movies are, they're very sad. It's a gut punch every time, but I still, yeah, <laughs> like the journey. <laughs> yeah, totally. And Allison, do you have anything to recommend or anything you've read lately or something that you want to pass along to listeners? Perhaps not surprisingly, but I've been reading a lot of food writing and I've been on a Ruth Reichel kick and she was... She's done a lot. She was the longtime editor of Gourmet Magazine. She was the New York Times restaurant critic, LA Times, I think restaurant critic and food editor. And she is so funny and fantastic. And so I've been reading. She has a few memoirs. And right now I'm reading Save Me the Plums. And then before that, I read Garlic and Sapphires about her time as the restaurant critic for the New York Times and how she would dress up in all these different disguises. The, the restaurants wouldn't recognize her. And it's just, it's crazy the lengths <laughs> that she went to. Um, but it's really entertaining. And I'm really enjoying all the Ruth Reichel books right now. 
That is awesome. Yeah. I... <laughs> what an approach. That say that. <laughs> yeah, she really, because I do restaurant reviews and <laughs> I don't do stuff like that. I don't think Denver's quite as cutthroat and competitive. I don't think people are looking out for me here, but in New York in the 90s, yeah. they, were, they were looking out for her. She's a really cool lady. I actually am speaking earlier about newsletters. I follow her newsletter. She talks about living in France and going to the market every week. And it's just <laughs> all very romantic. And yeah. <laughs> lovely. And for myself, I'll just give folks a little sneak peek. In October, I'm going to do a podcast with some of our other librarians where we are reading a young adult vampire book. And then we're also reading Bram Stoker's Dracula. So we're going to kind of compare the granddaddy of them all vampire book to one that's been written more recently. And for me, I think Bram Stoker's Dracula is a fun ride. I think that it's <laughs> it's old. It's got some of those old things to it, but I still think that it's pretty fun. Well, that's it for this episode of the Loveland Libcast. I hope folks do check out 50 Things to Bake Before You Die. It really is such a good cookbook. It has so many wonderful things that you can bake and approach, even if you don't feel like you're the world's greatest baker. It's something that you might have in Tima Bakes of your own. And don't forget that potluck on October 15th from noon to two in the Gertrude Scott room. Bring something to share with folks. Those three cookbooks that we've highlighted, you can use those for inspiration if you'd like, and we'll talk about those then as well. Allison Reedy, thank you so much for joining the Loveland Libcast. It was really wonderful to get to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better and for you to give us your insights on 50 Things to Bake Before You Die. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for spreading the funfetti love. <laughs> Absolutely. And Ashley, of course, thank you so much for being the best co-host I could ever ask for and for helping us pioneer and develop this Loveland cookbook group. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Loveland Libcast. And we'll be back soon on the podcast, as well as each month, a Loveland Cookbook Group focused episode. And those recipe kits, of course, go out on the second Thursday of each month. So thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you later. Bye. 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 <laughs> all right. We nailed it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot T-A-T-E at cityofloveland.org. See you next time.